Hi there, and welcome to this episode of the Payoff Podcast. Way back what feels like a million years ago at the end of 2020, Pete Harris, the head of global business development and global partnerships at Intuit, joined us on the podcast to discuss his role, the Intuit business culture, and his takes on how to forge and maintain great partnerships. We hope you will enjoy listening to this one as much as we enjoyed recording it. Will we start by um, allowing you to introduce yourself, telling us a little bit about your role, what you do at Intuit, and your background as well? Is that okay? Yeah, of course. Yeah, so um, Pete Harris. Um, I've been at Intuit for three years now. Um, when I joined, I was looking after um, partnerships for the UK and France, which were the two um, two main businesses that we had in Europe, two main market, markets in Europe. Um, and by partnerships, I mean where we have a gap in our product. Um, and we've decided we're not going to build it or we can't build it. Uh, we look to the market. We find the best uh, third party in the market to help us solve that customer problem. And then my team and my job is to help integrate that um, third party into the QuickBooks environment and provide the best um, customer experience along the way. So um, started there and then very quickly we did a bit of a restructure within Intuit and uh, we created a, an international business, uh, which was um, all countries outside of the U.S., um, and so I then took on responsibility as well for Australia, um, India, uh, Brazil and Mexico, um, which was uh, fascinating because it's such a, such a wide remit. And then uh, most recently, about um, three months ago, I've actually taken on um, the US as well now. So now I look after um, uh, partnerships globally for Intuit, um, which has been a whole new set of challenges, but also uh, a lot of fun. Uh, before that, it's quite a simple career history. Um, I was at um, Deloitte uh, for 13 years. Um, I started in the um, audit practice, uh, which I absolutely loved. And you don't hear many auditors say that, uh, but I absolutely love doing audits because you kind of get to rip a business apart, look at its guts, understand where uh, all of the business is operating, how it's operating, where's the money going, and then put it all back together again to some kind of insight or conclusion. So that taught me a lot about um, understanding business. Um, and then I went into various roles working with banks. Um, so I did a lot of time in Canary Wharf, uh, where a lot of the major banks are in the UK, um, and spent a couple of years at Barclays, uh, Goldman Sachs, Bank of America, uh, Deutsche Bank, um, and then decided I needed a change of tact. And I was asked to set up the innovation programs at Deloitte in the UK. Uh, and that was awesome because you get to reach out to 13,000 people in the UK and say, what good ideas have you got? And what we did was we took those ideas from our people and then um, created a, a network, a process in order to get them out to our, our clients, and our customers as quickly as possible. Did that. That was pretty successful. Uh, and then um, I set up a venture fund. Um, so we got a, the board approved um, a multi-million pound grant to, to invest in businesses, both internally and externally. And one of those businesses that we invested in internally was something called Propel by Deloitte. And this was essentially a, um, a cloud accounting firm internally within the business. Um, so it was working with small businesses. Um, it was working with um, entrepreneurs and it was helping them grow their businesses. Um, and I absolutely loved that and got a bug uh, for working with small businesses um, and helping small businesses. Absolutely loved it. Um, and then it was very coincidental, but I was invited to... Um, go to QuickBooks Connect uh, in San Jose uh, with Intuit. Um, and at the time, obviously, I knew Zero very well. I knew Intuit very well, knew Sage. Um, invited to go to, to, to San Jose to see um, QuickBooks Connect. Saw Brad Smith, who was the very charismatic CEO of, um, 
uh, of Intuit at the time on stage. And I just fell in love with him. I just thought he was incredible. One of the most incredible speakers I've ever seen. Um, and went to see the Intuit campus and loved it. I loved the people. I loved the values. So I went back to my hotel room that night and started looking for jobs uh, on LinkedIn. Uh, and I found this job and I was like, this is just fate. And then came back to the UK and two weeks later, I was um, I got the job at Intuit. That's great. Very, very interesting career trajectory. And you've also just answered so many of our questions, Pete, in that first blurb. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Something that you mentioned there is that um, you, part of your role at Intuit with partners is identifying gaps in your product and then collaborating with partners to sort of fill those gaps. I've been in tech for five years, which is not an astounding amount at all. But I guess what I've always sort of um, heard from uh, inspiring people is that you really have to sort of concentrate on what you do best in technology. How do you walk that fine line between keeping it within your wheelhouse, but then, you know, do you know what I mean? Like, where do you draw the line? What is accounting? What what is what what goes in the product and then what's outside? Because I'm sure you had... Uh, 101 different ideas from people that were really valuable when you did that um when you did that research like how did yeah. you sort of go how did you draw that line between what is core product and what isn't yeah it's um i think the the context of the question as well is quite interesting when you think about the size of business that you are so a business like intuit um especially in the us where it dominates and it has a very large broad um, set of capabilities. So for example, it has it has the core accounting functionality, but then it has a thriving payments business, a very large payments business. It has thriving payroll business. It has um, you know incredible capital business with the capital marketplace. Um, there are other products like Mint, uh, which consolidates all of your bank accounts to give insights. We obviously have TurboTax, which does consumer tax for you know tens of billions of customers. So working out what's core versus context in a market like that can get a bit confusing at times. I think luckily for us internationally, and certainly looking in, in the UK and in Australia, where we're much newer businesses and we don't have that bedrock of all of those capabilities in the market, core versus context becomes a bit easier. And so when we think about what we do at our core, we're, we talk to our customers and we understand like, what do you expect us to do? And what they expected us to do maybe you know three or four years ago was make sure that my bookkeeping and accounting is done perfectly make it as easy as possible save me time and make sure that's done as easy as possible so you get very specific then on what you're solving for and what problem you're solving for so for example um you know in the uk we need to make sure that we're looking at things like making tax digital you know that's a, a new uh, what's well, not new anymore but a fairly new legislation that came in about um online submission and i believe there's something similar in in Australia as well. So having to do it online, um, which is a bit of a shift, but you have to therefore make that capability change within your products to meet that demand in the market. So they're going to be much more concerned about it being making tax digital compliant than adding in some kind of payments functionality that, you know, few will use, but it's kind of more context and it's more of a delighter. So it's, it's, it's comparing and listening to your customers at a point in time to understand what is absolutely critical. And then I think you can add in the, 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 I call them context, but I mean the kind of periphery services. And I think over the last couple of years, certainly, um, the market shifted from an expectation from people like us to provide just accounting services to providing business tools and helping them run their business easier. 
And that's why they expect um, a business like Intuit and, and especially QuickBooks Online, where we have our open ecosystem, anything should be able to connect into it seamlessly. It's a bit like on your iPhone, you get your phone, you go onto the app store, you don't even think twice, is it gonna work? It just works and it's beautiful and the experience is, is lovely. And that's what customers are asking from us with their business, they just want it to work. And that's where, that's the journey that we're going through in partnerships is to understand how do you prioritize that and in what order does that need to happen? From that, I have two questions just on, I guess, your your innovation background. And you mentioned with um, the research you've done with the customers that Intuit, you, you know what they expect and you know what they want. But from that research, do you do any, like I guess, design thinking or looking outside the box from the answers to think of things that were think of things that they don't expect but they they need they just don't yeah. know it yet is there any of that, that yeah it's, it's 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 a really good question because we you obviously struggle with that at times as well because you're trying to solve the problem at hand but you also need to make sure that you're looking towards the future and that you're in Intuit we, we 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 call it delighting the customer so it's like that you give them the expectation you give them the core expectation of what they need and then you give them those delighters where they go oh wow that's nice or mm, that just makes sense for me and that gives me confidence that I'm doing something correctly. So throughout the process, and you, you may have heard of um, our legendary founder, Scott Cook. Um, he's just the most incredible person um, I think I've ever met. Like he's just a, a wonderful, wonderful person. And when he talks about uh, design thinking, when he talks about um, the product and understanding customers, um, we always go back to his um, his 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 process and framework around something called customer driven innovation. So internally CDI, but it's also known as D for D, which is designed for delight. And this is all about that very question. And it's what's the core expectation of a customer? How are you, um, unsolved, how are you solving a really big unsolved customer problem? What are you doing to create competitive durable advantage that we are best placed to solve? And that's like the three wheels. And then in the middle, you've got the segment, which is said, this is where we should be. And so if you take those three things and you say, we're at the middle of that, then you can apply your process of, of design thinking to that. And that always starts with, I, I love this process where we, we may get 30 people in a room and we'll say to them, right, here's the problem that we're trying to solve. Write down 10 ideas of how we could solve that problem. And everyone, you know, on post-it note, writing down the ideas. And we, we then put them up on the board and we, we group them and everything. Then we say, great, now write down 10 more ideas. And at that point, you're going, oh, wow, this is really stretching now. And you come out with some crazy stuff, absolutely crazy stuff that's like, I don't know, a, a drone should drop something down that should hit a button and make sure that the, uh, you know, the right buttons are pressed on a keyboard. Just You just go crazy. And then that's the type of thinking where the good ideas come out. It's at that point that you go, that's a bit weird. But actually, is there something in that? You know, we should probe that a bit further and just see, is there something really there? And then you get to a point where you're saying, this is actually something here. And then you can start to test it in the market. And we, we have these things called leap of faith assumptions, which is basically saying what would need to be true in order for this to be real. And when you define your ideal state, you then define all your assumptions that you need to get to along the way. And that helps you test it in market and get some customer feedback. So from what you, you know, from initially when you said you came from a, an auditing and consulting role to partnerships, it sounded like 
two really different worlds. But when you sort of broke it down there and, and described what you used to do as, you know, auditing and breaking down a business and finding out what was wrong. And now what you do is find out what's actually missing in your application and, and, and create partnerships to fill those gaps. It all, you yeah. see those parallels and how the, those skill sets would, would be useful in both, both roles. Um, yeah. Is there anything in the partnerships role that sort of surprised you that you weren't expecting or, or anything that you particularly love working with partners now in your new role? Well, your role that you've had for years at Intuit. Yeah, the bit, the bit, the bit that I love about it is um, is getting to know small businesses in our ecosystem, and th there's a very community feel to the world that we work in, and everyone is genuinely out to help each other. And the bit I love especially is is being able to offer access to. Um, millions of customers, millions of our customers on QuickBooks Online to a growing business that's just trying to do something and add something back to those customers, I find really powerful because we work with a lot of small businesses, you know, in a way like yourselves, where we can build up amazing customer capability and give them something that we could never do alone and potentially the partner could never do alone. But when you put us together, it becomes really powerful. Um, and I, I fully appreciate, you know, how difficult it can be sometimes working with a very large corporate. It's just not understood in many ways as a, a small business has that agility. It can move quick. It makes decisions in a phone call. Um, there's much greater risk appetite to get stuff done in a corporate. And having worked in, you know, someone like Deloitte, which is very, very risk averse, you know, has to watch out. You, you, you do something wrong in an audit, you're in trouble. You do something wrong with a bank and you give the report to someone with a mistake in it, you're in trouble. So you've got to be very careful. And that's the background I've come from. So coming to a place like Intuit, where it's a large corporate, of course, it needs to protect itself in the right ways with the right risk appetite. There can sometimes be a tension there. And what I found is my job is to navigate that tension. And that was one of the biggest surprises for me is how we've got on one hand a speedboat going, and we've got this, you know, this, this larger boat sort of going a bit slower, a bit more carefully, looking both ways a lot more. And it's how do you align those two to make sure that they are working in sync and working together and neither are getting frustrated at not going fast enough or slow enough. And do you have any tips that you could share with somebody else who might be working in partnerships? Yeah, I think um, in a smaller business, yeah, I think... Um, when you're working with a business like whether it's a, a Deloitte, an Intuit, a bank, I think just have the understanding that things will take longer. Things will take time. And that doesn't mean that they're not interested. It doesn't mean that they're not paddling furiously to get to a, 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 wonderful, a wonderful situation for both of us. It just means that um, there's so much more that has to be done. So I remember times, you know, when I, when I used to work in, um, in Deloitte, um, and we would take on a new customer into our, our portfolio, you have to go through a risk team and you have to do anti-money laundering checks. You have to do know your customer checks. You have to check for, you know, politically exposed people. You have to do all of these checks around it, which can take, you know, between a week maybe or even a month if it's a bit more complex. Then you have to go through the legal agreement and you have to go backwards and forwards on that. Then you've got more steps around actually working out what are you doing? What's the scope of the work? All of that takes time. And it's, 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 it's one of those things that I think people don't tend to, they, they tend to think it's because they're not interested mm. or because it's just, you know, um, red tape. It's yeah. not, it's just, the, it's just the workings of a larger business. 
it's funny that isn't it how in partnerships like communication is such a huge part of our role yeah. i find that as well it's not that it's sometimes it's not giving somebody an answer or giving somebody the answer they want right then it's explaining to them what's going on why why we can't do something or you know what what the thought process is or again and people will generally generally you know come to the party if they know that you're being reasonable you're not just sh- sort of shutting them th- them down but that communication piece is so important right and, and the only bit i'd add to that i thoroughly agree and that, that's hit the nail on the head um the only bit i agree as a tip is honesty as well and transparency mm. so i think um there can be a danger of wanting to please everyone yeah and let's face it we're not going to please everyone so there'll be there'll be some things, some capabilities, which our customers need more than others. And so at the time, that means you have to prioritize. Mm-hmm. And so what I learned fairly quickly was I'm going to disappoint people here and I'm going to have to turn around to them and say, I love what you do. I think it's amazing and you've done a, a fantastic job, but it's just not a priority right now for our customers. And as long as you can always go back to your customer and really genuinely understand what their, what their needs are, then you can prioritize the work that you're doing. Um, so I think that don't don't never, ever sort of keep people moving along just for the sake of it. Be honest and let them get on with something else if it's not going to happen in the short term for you. Absolutely agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you don't want to waste your own time and somebody else's time having those conversations when you can be transparent and people people appreciate that, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. On the um, on the subject of communication, like you mentioned you work with partners across many different regions I think you named like 10 countries can't even <laughs> list them off now um how do you how do you manage that and what challenges have you faced with that with keeping partners engaged across all those different time zones yeah it's um it's difficult um i've um i think i've gone on a bit of a personal journey as well uh since joining into it when you get absolutely engrossed in a mission that you thoroughly believe in and something that you thoroughly just 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 believe to your gut that you can you're helping people around the world then it helps put it in a lot of perspective so when managing people around the world and it's it's you know i've got my team as well in in four or five different countries and then you've got partners in um seven or eight different countries it's, it's, it's very challenging. And personally, it's something that I've had to balance and work out how I balance it. Um, professionally, um, I found that um, where we've got people on the ground, it's a lot easier. So I, I, can, I tend to be the person that people reach out to first, but then it's always great to be able to pass it off to someone locally to say, this is your local expert. I, because I look after so many countries, I'm not an expert in those countries, in all of those countries. I probably am in you know, the UK, because I know what's going on here. Uh, I'm becoming that more in Australia. I'm becoming that more in the US. Um, But it's a journey and I don't pretend to be the know-it-all. I think your team, that's their job, is to be the know-it-all, is to be the person that understands everything, to understand the market, to understand what's going on there. And so as long as there's someone local, it works very well. Um, The gap happens where we don't have people on the ground. And at the moment, I don't have anyone on the ground in, in Mexico or Brazil um, and our rest of world business has quite a large business in, in, in India and South Africa. Um, and then it's just a bit of give and take. The other big one that I'll just give you, um, when I was at um, Deloitte, uh, I'll try and remove names. Uh, I was working for a big bank and um, it, was, it, was a, it was a good piece of, it was a good piece of work. It was a big piece of work going to um, 
like the uh, it was going to the CEO of the, the retail bank arm of this bank. And um, I wrote this document and it went to a very senior partner at Deloitte to, to review the document. And he basically turned around to me and said, um, I don't understand the word in this. And it was because you kind of have a tendency in consulting, especially in strategy, especially to write in terms that you think will impress people. Yeah. And he turned around to me and said, Pete, just write it like you would to if you were talking to someone in the pub. So I took the document back and I rewrote it, translated the buzzwords into what they actually meant. And he took it again and went, perfect. And it landed so well because they went, I get it. I understand what you're saying. I understand exactly what you're saying. And, you know, giving, being open like this is one of the biggest forms of vulnerability. And I'm telling you the story because I feel like it's a message to people to say, don't try and impress, impress people. Yeah. Just make sure that you just write everything in very plain language because um, Amazon have a, a, a quite a famous um, test in their business called the so what test, which mm -hmm. is like if you read something and you have to turn around and say, so what? What are you trying to say? Yeah. Then you've not written it properly. So one of the things that I also talk to the team about when working with partners is just try and step back from your email, step back from your document, step back from anything and ask yourself, so what? And if you're not answering the so what, then rewrite it so that you're very clearly articulating so what? You, what's the point of this headline or this sentence and is it landing? Yeah, there's definitely keywords in emails that, that I spot that make me think of like back when I first started sending professional emails, you know, kind, yeah, of, yeah. kind of cringe and think, oh, that person must be fairly new to this. But, but you know, I guess we, we all had to learn how to drop that, um, what we thought was professional facade, you know, yeah. and just start communicating nor normally again at work. Yeah, yeah it's makes, so important. Yeah. It makes a difference. Yeah, it definitely does. So obviously uh, the coronavirus, COVID-19, has been quite a big struggle this year. And it's kind of like the elephant in the room, the thing that everybody kind of brings up in conversation. It's obviously been a big struggle for um, all businesses or kind of globally very different. But how, how has Intuit been um, supporting businesses, small businesses throughout this year? And how does that play into the partnerships yeah, role as well? Um, kind of pause on this because I think that everyone has experienced different things here uh, with COVID and, and some of it's very personal you know um, I remember in March when you know when we went into lockdown there was a just just disbelief there's anxiety just everything goes through the roof all at once and that's aside from your day job um, I think for intro it was very very quick um, working out what to do and generally speaking it, 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 it's true north values put its employees first and so it's very much and I know a lot of places say that and I kind of saw it through you know when I was going through the interview process you're a bit like yeah everyone says that Intuit you know gen genuinely means it and we were actually just um, in the UK we, we cancelled QuickBooks Connect you know the the flagship event and this was before we went into lockdown yeah. so it was our flagship event you know 5,000 people or however many people go to that uh, of course a huge amount of cost that goes into it um, and it was, no, no, safety first. We're doing the right thing. We're not about trying to make a, a point at the moment or, or do anything special at the moment. We're, we're cancelling the event. Um, of course, you know, we reimbursed all the people that had any kind of expenses that went along with that uh, and everything that went back. So it was it was it was it was fantastic to see that they did that in the UK and they made that that pledge for that to happen. And what they very, very quickly did was put on virtual events to make sure that people could um, still get the benefits. So a lot of small businesses 
uh, a lot of advisors, accountants, they were able to still get the benefits from that. It's incredibly successful. So that's kind of changed thinking in the long term of what future events should look like and the whole event space should look like, which is interesting in itself. More generally speaking, um, they did a number of things. So um, as you'll be aware, in every um, market, pretty much a local government was setting up uh, relief packages of some form. And um, as a part of that, accountants were key and um, you know, businesses like ours were key to get access to those to those packages. So in the US, it was a program called the, um, the Paycheck Protection Program, PPP. And this is where the government put up um, funding to essentially pay paychecks for people, uh, their pay um, over a period of time. And they were able to access that through our platform. And that was built in record time. So it's one of those things where you suddenly go, right, we've got this problem we've never, ever experienced in the world. Um, and this is the same in every market, by the way. It's the same in Australia. We had the same with um, a Seaball scheme in the UK. And it was like, how do we get, how do we give our customers access to this relief as quickly, as easily as possible? And so it was all hands to the deck, making sure that we've got the right people aligned to that, leave everything else right now, because this is going to be the most important thing for our customers and yeah. just give them access to it. That in itself was phenomenal. Yeah, I think it's really important, uh, you know, throughout COVID, we saw that the business who, businesses who took like social responsibility seriously as well, you know, not just about business, they're doing business. It was sort of, we, we all, there was definitely, you know, you could see businesses that were taking the attitude of we were all in this together, you know, yeah. um, and I think that yeah. shines through and, and is really important in the crazy yeah. time. They were enduring right now. <laughs> yeah, and, and the other thing that was pretty awesome was they um, very quickly we did partnerships with um, local crowdfunding um, companies in each market, and we set up crowdfunding pages. And this all stemmed from uh, one of the one of our our employees in uh, in Mountain View in the US um, became very concerned about the local sandwich shop, and it sounds like a, a strange story, but he was thinking that person's business relied on on Intuit and Google and the places around it to have customers that went in there. And what would they be doing now? We're all at home. No one's there. I'm really worried about the shop and their, their livelihoods. So he thought about setting up a crowdfunding page and then that essentially went went national. And what happened was Intuit said, we're going to give every single employee um, initially $50 to donate to whoever they want, so whichever small business they want, get them on the crowdfunding page. They can donate to it. And then what happened was we started getting partners that were coming in and doing it. And we raised millions, millions of dollars um, around the world for small businesses through crowdfunding just to give them a bit extra during this period of time, just knowing how, how difficult it is for a number of them. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's, it's great to see. I think obviously it's been such a horrible year, but to see all the positive stuff that's come out of it and all of the amazing reactions and really quick reactions that people have made in in such a positive way and very creative as well so yeah that's awesome unfortunately it's come at such a cost you know it's, it's um it's a definitely a sad time and particularly thinking of your partners in the you know more heavily affected areas it's 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 been a hell of a year that we hope never to repeat eh? it has and um i think it will be interesting to look back um, when we're able to and to say what was the impact because there are varying data sets on this and for example I can't remember the exact numbers but in the US um, they've had record numbers of new businesses being created 
So it's also spurred people to go, I've got to do stuff differently and I've got to think differently. And you look at the stats around um, businesses going online and e-commerce and, you know, our various aspects of our business have grown more in the last 10 months than they did in the, in the first 10 years. And we hear these stats constantly. So I, I wonder what is the repercussions of this? It's been really hard, but maybe in five years time, we can look back and say there were elements of it that actually forced us to do stuff for the better. And I think we can look at it in that positive light in some ways, not, you know, not disrespecting the people that obviously have gone under or suffered massively, but also um, recognizing that, as you say, good potentially can come out of this. Yeah. Yeah. It will be, I'm wondering if we'll see um, on a non-business related note, I'm wondering if we'll see like the babies that, that you know, adults that were babies in 2020, um, like marry really quickly or anything like that, because you know, the way yeah. you see, um like studies on children who were you know in, in wars or whatever and they've been yeah. restricted with food and then you know sometimes they go on to be obese because they have that food scarcity yeah. problem like you would wonder with this kind of social isolation like what sort of what will happen like down the road and um you know i'm sure there'll be studies on business but everything else sociology and whatever else for the for years to come on on 2020 it's a but you know i woke up to the news this morning that um, the first vaccine has been approved in the UK and mm. we should be getting it next week. Right. And you go from something that normally takes 10 years has been done in 10 months. Now, maybe that's a bit worrying to some people or maybe it's a bit like, OK, wow, look at what they've achieved. And I, anyway, you anyway, you slice it. That is incredible sort of, you know, feat of just ingenuity and, and minds at work. And it does make you think, like, what is going to come out of this and how are we going to study it? How are we going to look back and what's going to be different in the future when we we look at how people have been over the last um, over the last year. Yeah, one of uh, Kate and I's contacts who um, we uh, we interviewed for the podcast. Um, she's a neuroplasticist. I can never oh, say wow. it. Um, and and she she uh, did a session with Kipe. We just sort of got her on, and, and she had a session with a lot of us uh, at the beginning of lockdown. And she was saying that something to take away from this is like how quickly we've all shifted our way of life. You know. Yeah. And applying that like how we could apply that you know to any aspect of our life we could do, we have the power to change anything in our lives you know yeah. um and any of our habits or anything yeah. like that look at how quickly like, overnight we've changed completely changed the way we're living yeah. it really yeah. stuck with me throughout um yeah. throughout this whole thing you know that yeah we 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 could live we can change anything really you know this this is yeah. proof yeah um, and i do think you know to your question about how has it impacted, you know, thinking about partners as well. I think personally, I found it really difficult um, not being able to travel. Mm. And when you're trying to form relationships with people and you're trying to, you know, do very large deals um, that have a very big impact on, on our business, but especially the partner's business, um, it's very difficult not to sit opposite the table from someone and form that relationship or, or have that empathy and, you know, sort of have a lot of frustrations and beat a lot of stuff out and then go for a meal afterwards or something. It, it's just not quite the same. And it's very difficult doing these types of deals over Zoom. Uh, yeah. And it's quite exhausting. Um, you know, the I'm a big body language fan and um, I like looking at how people are reacting to the stuff I'm saying. And, you know, I was saying to someone the other day that for all you know, beneath the desk, I'm punching my fist going, I can't stand that person. But you don't know because I'm here and I'm smiling and I'm looking all nice at you. So it's just very difficult to know how people are reacting. 
Yeah, that's definitely the case with us in this podcast as well. We we much prefer having in-person conversations. You just have much yeah. better engagement and it's a bit more fun. <laughs> this has been fun, though. It's been good. We were discussing that before we jumped online, that we were hoping this would be a good one because we're, I was saying to Kate, you know, we've all had those, like, awkward Zoom calls where you, like, the chemistry is off from the beginning yeah. of the yeah. And you're like there's no way to pair it back like you know like you could do in person but um but thankfully it's been this has been lovely we hope you enjoyed it and found it worthwhile i really did yeah i really did it was great to um it's great to chat and just to you know get people's reactions to the stuff that you're saying as well and yeah thank you thanks both it's great to meet you and um hopefully uh see you in person soon yeah thank you so much this is neve and this is kate we hope you enjoyed this episode if you did why don't you share it with a friend and if you really liked it, subscribe and give us a rating. If you want to find out more about Kipe, go to kipe.com. See you, See you next time. time.